prior to any song that you could ever want being at the touch of a button, all we had were friends, the record store, and the radio. What are you fucking giggling about, Hunter? I don't know. This is, this is the most pretentious you'll ever get. <laughs> but friends went home and the record store closed. The radio was all there was at night. And you bought a bunch of records and you got your friends to stay past three in the morning. Damn straight. I'm really fucking Ever since I was a kid, I had a love-hate relationship with the radio. While I'd occasionally find something new and exciting, it was usually sandwiched between long stretches of Bon Jovi and Touch of Grey or whatever the hell WZPL was playing. But sometimes, every once in a while, it was beautiful, I would say. You could hear the Ramones or the Clash, or once I discovered college radio, the Buzzcocks and Stiff Little Fingers, and more and more and more. Today, I'm going to dig into punk rock that is entirely focused on that love-hate relationship. Welcome to Beyond Yacht Rock, episode 74, Love, Hate, and the Great Before, Punk Rock Radio. I still say it's a book title. We'll see. Someday. Beyond Yacht Rock. This is the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. We create new genres every week, and we count down down the best songs in those genres from 10 to 1. Today we're doing uh, Punk Rock Radio. (laughs) <laughs> That's the name of the genre, punk yep. rock radio. Everybody's really Short, excited. Short, sweet, to the point. And, uh... Just like the songs. Dave, I just thought, like you, ti- I thought you timed out that intro. Yeah, I nailed to, it. To I, did, I did it in my head, and I read song. faster in my head. Um, always time things out loud. Okay, so... Because <laughs> I don't invented- practice in front of a mirror. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> because we invented the term Yacht Rock, we like to throw a bone to you Yacht Rock fans out Wait, there. Wait, we haven't introduced... Episode. Do we introduce ourselves? Oh, God. Sorry. No, but... You're Steve. He's Dave. I'm Hunter. That's JD. There we go. Thank you, Hunter. All set. God. Hey, let's throw a bone to Yacht <laughs> It's always rock the worst rock. part of the show. Oh, uh, no. I lost this. We're, <laughs> this is a real punk rock radio. Yeah. Today. Hunter, what is this? what's this song? All right. Well, back when radio was pure. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> it didn't have all that bullshit on it. You had a little something like this. Uh, so if we're going to talk about capitalistic pu- punk, I figured we'd talk about peak capitalistic punk. Yacht Rock. Oh, man. Cap- you're, you're all going to be Marxist by the time I'm done with you on this podcast. And, and by that I mean to say, uh, first, Yacht Rock is probably peak commercialization and production of rock and roll. Yet there is something we touched on, an emerging subgenre that probably took it a little too far, maybe. And that's mall yachts. Yeah. And if that exists, I believe the discussion should start with teenage heartthrob Sean Cassidy and the three albums he made with Jay Graydon. Mm. So here we are. Tasty sounding. I like the idea of Marxism being uh, lumped in with uh, Mall Yacht as Richard Marx probably is the biggest mall Oh, yeah. Yeah. So here we are with the song Lie to Me from 1978's Under Wraps. Uh, At this point, uh, Sean Cassidy had already done a Mall Yacht album with Graydon in 1977 with Born Late and then went on to make 1979's Room Service. These albums kind of go from disco to kind of boogie-woogie rock and roll to ballady schmaltz, all very bubblegummy, if you will. But because of the time period, the production, and the available personnel, they all had a song or two that hits just the right yacht spot. 
uh, to, to, I think, be in the upper half of that Yatsky scale. Yeah. Nice. It, it's always instructive to listen to one of those albums, like a Sean Cassidy album with a couple yacht tracks on it produced by Jay Graydon, because you can... Well, it wasn't produced by him. Oh, okay. Well, he was anyway. just on them. Oh, okay. He's the biggest name on them. Um, but when you listen to albums like that, and you can hear, like, oh, not Yacht Rock, not, oh, the, so that's Yacht Rock, and you hear it in the context of these other songs, and you see what's so special about the genre. I'm pretty sure who produced them was a, uh, like, a, a, like a creepy guy who was smoking cigarettes <laughs> Like a good shot, like a Frenchman. Looking good, Sean. I can see the pubes coming up from yeah. from your jeans, Sean. You oh, you look all of nineteen right now. Um, take your shirt off to help your voice, Sean. Um, also, if you listen to the song, Sean is really doing uh, Loggins' vocal style he here. Yeah. it's really it's really cool. Yeah, this it's got some log line on it. Mm-hmm. Um. So this one, I believe, is mainly uh, because of the influence of writer Bill LeBounty, who is the first, furthest thing from a teen idol you can find. Uh, so he kind of balances everything out. I don't, I don't know why you can't be a bald guy with a beard who does nothing but talk about divorce and not be a teen <laughs> idol. I don't think that's fair to Bill LeBounty. He was a relatively young man at the time. Is that what you've been working it's on? ageism. Are you, is that why you did the Divorce Core album, uh, show? Yeah, I want to be the next... I want to be Bill LeBounty of podcasting, but I have my marriage you is too be awesome. <laughs> I, I'll I never get divorced. Of, I think you kind of are the Bill of Bounty of podcasting. <laughs> Minus a divorce. Yeah. I mean, hairline-wise, you're kind of the Bill of Bounty of podcasting. And there's balder guys than me who podcast. Oh, yeah, it's true. But yeah, John John Roy has a podcast. Dude looks, like he, al- bald, right? looks like he has alopecia. Fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Uh, Fuck you, John Roy. <laughs> I can't say who exactly... Supposed to be my my carpool buddy. Never mind. All right, well, let it out. You settle, need to let settle, it out? Per- settle personal scores on your own time. Yeah, let's get back to Marxism. Richard Marxism. Uh, rule, rule one, hold on to the night. <laughs> Hunter's trying to read a paragraph, guys. I only have a two... I only have, like, one and a half left. Hunter, who's on this song? Uh, I can't say exactly who's on this song, but potentially you have oft yet uh, Dennis Belfield on bass, Carlos Vega on drums, Greg Matheson on keys, Graydon on guitar, and a potential combo of Kimball Champ... <laughs> Kimball Champlin and Vinette Gloud on Ooh. backing vocals. Bobby Kimball? Bobby Kimball. pulled in Bobby Kimball for this one? And Great. Bill Champlin. Could you imagine those guys getting together, having a... Bob and the Champ? <laughs> Um, thanks to Thanks to Bill of Bounty This is a song about a fool And he's such a gullible fool He's telling his lover to lie to him And he's still gonna believe what she tells him Man Bill of Bounty Bill, I'll never divorce you (laughs) So I want to remind people The millennials out there And the people who are I guess Gen Xers Who were born at the tail end Like myself who can't, doesn't, I can't identify with anyone. Uh, a reminder, Sean Cassidy is, was, uh, he was the half-brother of Partridge family's David Cassidy, and I just learned this, is the son of Partridge mom, Shirley Jones. Hmm. His father was Jack Cassidy, an actor, singer, and director. He kind of wrote that uh, wrote that Partridge thing to an album that scored a number one hit with Da Do, Do Run Run in 1977, which I also just found out is not Da Do Run Run. Yeah, it's yeah. Ron Ron. Yeah, it's Ron Ron. There's so, is, it, is there somebody named Ron Ron? It's not it's not the Ronettes. Who did it originally? The Crystals. The Crystals. Well, yeah, I don't know. That Ron is a lucky guy. Uh, he I just name checked it in my previous episode. You know, that, Ron, that Ron, Ron, Ron from over on the Fifth Ward. Yeah. Uh, so the, he did that in 1977 and had a bunch of other hits on that album. 
Um, that one didn't have any Yacht Rock people on it. It was it was just a bubblegummy rock and roll. Uh, then he started acting with a role as a hardy boy and other shit, I assume. Uh, then he started getting slightly more serious and began working with heavy session guys while his starred, star began to fade, as it does. So despite the career decline, it led to three Malyad albums that I would assume uh, go on to be dissected by four turd lickers on a podcast. So really win-win, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, no, no losers in that. All right, Dave, you ready to tell us about this genre? Yeah, why not? All right, guys, this is my first punk rock episode. I've heard this song. And I look forward to you shitting all over it. I know I used this song as an intro to another sub episode. This fits the genre, too, so fuck off. I, wanna... I don't remember you using this. Uh, yeah, they I, think all was, I think it was the gleam. Blur together. Yeah. It was when Dave did a song because this song made him so happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. This is a song that makes Dave head. Okay, yeah. I get this. Okay. Okay. Uh, I want to break down the punk trinity of this genre. You got love, you got hate, and you got the great before. So, to be clear, this is the trinity of punk rock's relationship with radio. Yes? Yeah, yeah why not? Uh, no, I actually, I think he's an Australian kid telling a story about <laughs> Captain Walker and the high scrapers. Love, hate, and the great... Oh, never mind, I can't do an Australian accent. That's why I hate them. Continue, Dave. All right. Uh, let me start with the great before. Um, before I could walk down the street in Highland Park and see five-year-olds with mohawks and bad religion t-shirts, punk had a deeper meaning. Oh, it was, it was pure. Yeah. yeah. It meant being able to slap a Ramones sticker on your SUV. <laughs> just like just like in The Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Exactly. Out like, on the road today, I saw a Ramones sticker on an SUV. Yeah, that's A me. little voice inside my head <laughs> said, that's Dave's car. That's totally Dave's car. <laughs> Makes it easy uh, to, to follow me. Uh, before the day is a hot topic pushing store-bought anarchy. Wait! Wait, you had you had the SUV and the sticker after the hot topic days. Did you get yeah. your Ramon sticker at Hot Topic? No, my wife got it for me at a at Ramon show on our first date. Oh, okay. So fuck you. Uh, where were that's we? Pretty, All the Ramones were dead by good. the time you guys were dating. Nah, Marky was there that night. I met him. Oh, okay. Second um, drummer. Yeah. <laughs> And the fifth drummer. <laughs> after uh, after uh, Clem Burke I'm just trying to figure out when the great before was. Richie Ramone. Wait, Dave, tell us about the scene. Because it made it sound like it was five years ago <laughs> before kids in Highland Park had mohawks. Yeah. But it's before that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's even farther before okay. that. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's before Hot Topic. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the scene, Dave. Uh, there was actually, uh, Maximum Rock and Roll had something called a scene report. Uh, you could read, uh, you could look up people, use the connections, you see what music was all about in Kansas, plan a tour for your shitty band, or actually show up at someone's house and talk about punk. So this was print media. Yeah. This is how long ago the, the scene was. Yeah. Okay. Was this, this a zine? Maximum Rock and Roll? You don't know what Maximum Rock and Roll was? I don't remember. Wow. Was it a zine? Yeah, well, it was... I'm younger than it you. Was more, it was more of a magazine. I would yeah. say it was more of a magazine, right? Yeah. It's not just a zine. A legit magazine. No. Did it have a classifieds in back? Is that how you found the punkers? Yeah, it did. And, uh, well, they had something called the Scene Report where people would write in and talk about what their neighborhood scene was like, oh. what record stores you could go to. That's fun. Yeah, so you could show up uh, somewhere across the country and know where the record stores are or book a tour. Is there a blog band. like that now? I don't know. You should start it. Yeah, all right. All right, keep going. Oldpunk.com? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy, I got way off base here. No. 
Yeah, anyway, anyway, the, the thing that uh, punkers love to talk about is how great things used to be. Uh, and who did it first? Everybody longs for the good old days, and we're going to see that theme show up in a couple of these songs. Um, so this is like American Pie or Summer of '69, but with horns and tons of 14-year-olds skanking in front of a sweet mosh pit. Exactly. Okay, you Wait. got it. No, I'm pretty sure I heard some old hippie j- bitching about how the kids ruined the scene. Oh, okay. That's what I'm pretty sure oh, I just okay. heard. Hmm. I didn't. I didn't say it was ruined. I didn't blame the kids. Adam, not a hippie. Fuck you. All right. Love. There's uh, also what I touched on in the intro. You couldn't always easily find the music you wanted. Occasionally, the radio would play a song you really wanted to hear, and everything felt right in the world. That's what this song is about. Operation Ivy was a punk band from Oakland that started in 87. I just read a book um, about the East Bay punk scene with an intro by Jesse Michaels, lead singer of Op Ivy. And he talked about being jobless and broke in early 2007 when his car broke down. Keep in mind, this is the lead singer for one of the most influential punk bands out there who had watched Green Day and Blink-182 become millionaires. While he was 38 years old and broken down on the side of the road waiting for his friend to come pick him up, he found an old mixtape in the back of the car and put it on. The magical sounds immediately brought him back and revitalized him. It's the one thing you can depend on. What was on the tape? It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls. Uh, yeah. uh, good old Martha Wash. Jam. Yeah, uh, you know, that was uh, written by uh, Paul Schaefer. Yeah. 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 Okay, song number two. It's one thing you can depend on. Yeah. This is uh this is the lyrics to the song, Hunter. It's raining. What do I think it's raining man. Uh hate. However, the history of punk radio is rich in contrast. <laughs> so this is the third theme you'll hear in these songs. How much things suck. Why was The Great Before so great? Because everything sucks today. Hence the song by the great Chicago punk band Slapstick. Fuck you, alternative radio. Just a great song bitching about how lame the scene has gotten, how it all sounds the same to me, and who doesn't hate the Counting Crows. We're going to hear a lot of this sort of hatred for current pop culture show up on today's list. Uh, it's more uh, current than the Counting Crows. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. So punk rockers are complaining about every punk rockers are complaining about everything sounding the same because <laughs> Counting Crows and Cheryl Crows sound the same. Exactly. You're really good in this. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing I can't abide, it's a scene that's grown lame. <laughs> I mean, get me the fuck out of there. Exit stage right, right, guys? I mean, what about my cred? I got cred. I got a personal brand to maintain. And that brand is effortless cool. I think your brand is old Cub shirts. <laughs> New Cub shirts. Oh, sorry. They all, they all start to look the same. And yes. I mean, they do have the same team colors, you know. <laughs> right. You know, I was in Chicago recently, and I found out all Chicago Cubs fans weren't insufferable. Did huh. you say Chicago Cubs fans? Cubs. Chicago Cubs. <laughs> I was on North Halstead. That's a local joke for you Chicago folk. Ah, okay, both these songs have ska undertones, and if I can ever find eight more good ska songs, I'll do a listenable ska genre. But as of yet, they have not revealed themselves to me. Oh, you love ska. He does. You he love it. does. You listened to Mustard Plug in college, didn't oh you? Oh, God. Well, they were always playing. You couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> avoid them. I saw them when I was, like, 11 or 12. I got made fun of by the bass player of Blink-182 for having a Mustard Plug sticker. <laughs> he looked at my guitar case and said, really, dude? Mustard plug, and I said, Really, dude? Blink 182. <laughs> I got him! Woo! Zing! Ah, where are we? Uh, you were making fun of Ska, Punk? your yeah. favorite genre of music. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I was going to mention the Blue Meanies, another Chicago band. All right, let's <laughs> let's get into it. Unless you guys I just want to say here at the bottom, uh, punk music is a lot like red wine. Like people note so much stuff in there, <laughs> and all I sense, yeah, all I sense is one note, and it gives me a headache. So in punk, <laughs> like in punk, all I hear is loud, fast music, and in wine, all I taste is red booze. But I'm really going to try to savor this music, Dave. I'm really going to try to appreciate it. Excellent. This episode. Yeah. And, you can, and you can always look forward to the Ramones one. Yeah, yeah they'll probably show up. All right. This is the band Oscar with Radio. Certainly not my favorite song on the list, but that's why it's number 10. Uh, it shows you what the genre is about. It falls into the same category of the Operation Ivy song and the intro, the love of the music, and the escape that the music brings. We get into the chorus. It's obvious. The fucking radio takes my mind off of everything. Pretty straightforward basic punk, but the message is there. The music is the way out. Uh, Wait, can we get out of here? And when I looked up... Uh, Wait, I got info. a question. I got a question. Yeah. I got a question. Yeah, Hunter? Um, you said this is number 10 because it's not your favorite song on the list? Yeah. Is that how you listed? Is that how these go? <laughs> favorites? You know how I put lists together. All right, I'm just wondering. Just want to make is, sure. Wait, is number nine going to be the punk song? Yeah. Again? Yeah, yeah I've, got a, I've got a couple punk songs Okay, on great. Uh, so I looked up uh, the review on All Music. And this is what Steve Huey had to say about the group. Oh boy, I have—I probably don't remember uh, writing this. No, I, I copied and pasted it. If you want to read it. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Re- Ooh, read, it, we read, get- it, read it in your t- year 2000 voice. Yeah. <laughs> Squeakier. Treatment Five, Oscar's debut album, is a rather typical release for the Epitaph label. Aggressive punk with unhinged snotty vocals and lyrics that alternate between goofy humor and angst-filled catharsis. Jesus, this could have been anybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it could have been fucking anybody. Out of, yeah. I don't know if you have to read what, this, this whole thing. What, is there, sets, yeah. what sets to, Oscar apart is oh, the wait, relatively young age of its members. <laughs> They're younger. Which <laughs> helps lend an especially confrontational brattiness to some of the songs here. Of course, that means the album will hold a strong appeal for fans of modern-day punk pop since it's a pretty well-executed debut anyway. See, that's the kind of review I wrote when the music was formulaic and I didn't give a fuck, but there wasn't really any reason to be mean about yeah, it. they're nice guys. I love, yeah. I love pointing out that a pop band is special because of the... The, uh, the age. No, and the, the, conf- the confrontational brattiness, as if there's none of that in punk <laughs> I was trying well, to... he just restated no. what he said before. Yeah, no, no, I was Steve. trying to say they were actual you bratty teenagers you instead yourself. of just playing it being bratty. Teenagers. You don't have to defend yourself, Steve. <laughs> I was trying to find anything to fucking say about this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you saw their ages and said, "Got it." Got there's it. my latch on to something. There's my uh, there's my second sentence. The uh, <laughs> the main dude was a sophomore in high school when they recorded their first demo, and they got him signed to Epitaph. So, sixteen year olds. Who'd he know? Uh, probably Brett Gurowitz, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, I found these guys on an Epitaph Records comp called Punkorama. I had that. Yeah. Uh, that and the Fat Records comps were huge in the mid '90s. You know, it came in day lo- day glow colors. colors. Yeah, yeah. And the- I just I looked at it again. Uh, there was a Wayne Kramer song on there. Yeah, I had no idea when yeah. I listened to it. Yeah, it was a live who, track. Who if I recall, who? I don't. Yeah. Um, this was on, I think, the next one. It wasn't on that one. Yeah, I think or, this was or, on... Or three. No, it's on the same one. I think this was on Punkorama 3. Not, think, no, not this one, the first song I heard okay. of Oscar. 
they're a trio from Los Angeles. They ever only released two albums. Uh, they were also called the most hated bands on Epitaph because they would relentlessly taunt their fans, much like JD on Twitter. Good job, JD. It, 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 it's fun. Yeah. Your snotty brattiness it. comes out I on know, Twitter. Yeah. They never had a full-time drummer, just like local LA punk icons Karate the Band, and it ultimately led to their breakup. Wait, Karate the Band broke up? No. No, no they don't have oh, a drummer. Oscar broke Full-time up. drummer. Yeah. Karate, Oscar the, broke Karate up. the Band might be playing a Halloween party. Dave's ironing out his writing, Steve. He didn't spend the entire 90s writing the same review over and over uh, again punk rock music. He uh, could have. <laughs> uh, lead singer started a punk folk group, blah, blah, blah. Punk folk group? Wait, yeah. no. You can't wait, just what? bypass that. Uh, now you got to read this shit. And his name is Devin Williams. The punk folk group was called Fingers Cut Mega Machine. And as of an article I read at punknews.com, works at Amoeba Records here in L.A. Nice thing about some of these punk guys, you can still buy a record or a beer or maybe even get a haircut from them in the L.A. area. Or a hand job, you never know. And if you're ever in the East Village, stop by Manitoba's and have a glass of hard cider with handsome Dick Manitoba, lead singer of the Dictators. He's usually behind the bar. Does he drink hard cider too, or is that just you? He was serving it up. I'll tell you, let me tell you, I listen to this song and I'm picking up a lot. Like, to me, this song has the sound of uh, an oaky peat harvest and a little a little bit of garbage disposal and a touch of an aunt who is angry at an uncle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I did yeah. get that yeah, I can hear, I can hear that. And this song's a lot like Listen to the Music by the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because he likes he likes to listen to the music on the yeah. radio. It's that pre-McDonald uh, confrontational brattiness. Yeah. 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 All right, here's some classic punk rock snark. Finally, yeah, <laughs> they're all too they're all too earnest. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully gonna and bust somebody's ever, balls. Uh, and if I ever get my uh, post nasal uh, genre down, uh, these oh. uh, these bands will be great for it. Uh, this is please play this song on the radio by No Effects. No Effects is the biggest punk band in the world that never signed to a major label. They recorded endlessly and heavy, heavily inspired much larger bands that you've heard of. Their decision to stay on Epitaph and singer Fat Mike's own Fat Records was what allowed them to do exactly what they wanted to do for as long as they have, and it made them millionaires. Didn't they? Uh, they have one of my favorite album titles, which is Punk and Drublet. Punk and, punk and Drublet, yeah. yeah. They had Animal Liberation, which was like a liberal animation. Oh, wait, no. Liberal animation was Animal Liberation. You know, when I was a teen... They're very clever. I, yeah. I saw a lot of other teens walking around with, wearing black with no effects patches everywhere, mm-hmm. and I thought no effects was like a real tough, scary band. And now I hear them, and they're just a bunch of whiny pussies. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they just sound like this. It's crazy that these yeah. kids were so dark and into this sort of fun, whiny pussy stuff. I think, yeah. I, I, just, I, think I saw a no effects CD on one of my coworkers' desks just today. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they still got it. Um... Here's the kicker about this song. They don't actually want the song to be played on the radio. Oh! There's your twist! These punkers are so contrarian. Yep. It was a big fuck you to the fact they were beginning to get attention from major labels and mainstream radio. The song was written to be mainstream and radio friendly, but then it takes a turn. Ooh. Uh, This is it. So the song doesn't end here. Yeah. It picks up again. 
Okay. JD really wants to press that button. Some shithead will be drawn a fat fucking line. So they're swearing. Oh my god. Oh my god. And if you've ever worked in a radio booth, you know on the back of CDs or albums, there's hand drawn notes on certain songs. If a song is foul language, they draw a line through it, and that equates to do not play on the air. The purpose of the song was an attempt to sneak foul language onto the radio. I have no idea if it ever worked, but I do know they used this song in the closing credits of the Charlie Sheen vehicle, The Chase. Yes. Oh, shit. Uh, Epitaph did the entire movie soundtrack. They cut it before it got to the the naughty words. Uh, The same thing that I did when I used to play this on my old radio show. Was that around 1994? Uh, This this would have come out in 92, I think, but my radio show was I mean, The Chase. Yeah. Because I feel like Epitaph, like I had punk shirts because I was listening to Epitaph. So wait, let me get this straight. This song is, please play this song on the radio, but they don't want it played on the radio. Mm -hmm. But they also made a very clear dividing point where it would make it really easy to play it on the radio if you just cut out the bad stuff at the end. Yeah, I don't know if they put that much thought into it. Bullshit. They're hedging their bets. That's the best part. Like, uh, give me a bunch of money. Like, I fucking care. Give it, just give me a bunch of money. That's kind of what it's like to see no one. Don't give me money because I don't care. Um, you know, uh, you know, if Sass had a smell, I think this song has it, uh, along with some rotten grape vine tones, like some whipped eggs. Oh, yummy! Hint, just there's just a hint of the answer to a difficult question. Yeah. No effects is still touring and still releasing albums. I want to see him a couple years ago with uh, actually with our friend Lane. Yeah. Our buddy? Noah. Yeah, no our buddy offense. Lane. It was fun, but they tend to attract a lot of bros. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, another dude I was with got punched in the face, and it was stupid. Why do you pull that shit? We're all there to see the same band. That's the part of punk that pisses me off. We ran into the bros on the way back to the car, and I had to talk my way out of getting my ass kicked. Wait, the thing you hate about punk is the bros? <laughs> yeah. There's bros in punk? Yeah. That's no fun. Yeah. It's my... Yeah. West Coast, mostly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, like Pennywise fans. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I like this th- song, and I think it should be played on the radio. Mm-hmm. I think it has very tight ha- harmonies, good production. I think it zigs where you think it, might, you think it might zig, kind of, but, you know, they, they have it. I think we should Yatsky this, right? right? Yeah? I think they're doing a really good job. No? Oh, okay. Yeah, they're a tight band. Zero. Tight. <laughs> um, are you want to tell this story about the mosh pit? Yeah, we've been on this song way long enough. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will say though, Dave. I will say I don't want you to lose confidence because mm-hmm. even though this music is stupid and it all sounds the same and we all hate it, your research and your stories that you're finding are great. Well, so thank you. Don't get thrown. No, no, I'm fine. This is my favorite music in the world. Okay, I'm, good. I'm, I'm my my legs been tapping uh, like kind of the way toe tapping. The way Steve always looks like he's jerking off with his headphone cord. By the way, if you watch those Facebook live videos from behind, you're doing this thing. It just looks like you're stroking it through the whole. Yeah, the whole my, oh, good. And I'm super fidgety too, so yeah. it's not just. Yeah, but you're usually banging on things, like tapping and. No, I'm doing, nah. doing that. Uh, I got to build my personal brand, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm. Hey, and I'm buying what you're selling. <laughs> Listen, I like a lot of punk, but, but Dave's flavor of punk is not typically mine. No. Yeah. yeah, I like a lot of the early punk when it was a little less formulaic. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to but that. He sonically, like, sonically yeah. less formulaic. He likes a lot of, like. It played well in the Midwest because it sounds like they needed to blow their noses. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. This is another one that's anti-mainstream radio. This is uh, Radio Blast by Screeching Weasel, and it's basically a Ben Weasel rant against mainstream radio. Is Ben Weasel his birth name? It's not. It's Ben Foster. Oh. Is Screeching Weasel the band's birth name? Uh, well, it came from... Um, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> No, I mean, I know the history. I know, I don't care. I don't <laughs> yeah. care. I just wanted to say the funny joke. Yeah, it was real okay. funny. Real funny joke. Um, all right. Ben Weasel's uh, Slamming Mainstream Radio. Classic rock for balding farts that need to feel young. Plastic rock for snot-nosed brats. Oh, confrontational brats. Yeah. He refers to it as the same slop they've been shoveling for 35 years. Clearly the hate side of the love-hate relationship that I so eloquently brought up in the intro. Um, and I think he's talking more about like Beach Boys type music than say like the yacht rock that we love. Right. And I think if he heard the certified yacht rock playlist on Spotify, he would really begin to appreciate commercial <laughs> I, radio. I agree. I think these guys should really listen to our Yatter Yacht episodes. Dave is a certified punk expert, which really helps him uh, break the songs down with such gusto. Yeah. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. And naming Jay Graydon. Uh, ben was known for being very vocal about bands selling out, oh. which is an annoying punk rock thing that happens. He wrote a song called My Friends Are Getting Famous, which was very much all about the punk bands that started to break in the mid-90s. He's also very vocal about Jawbreakers signing to a major label when they did Dear You for Geffen. In fact, yeah. if you go to... I love that album. Yeah, it's a great album. It's a great fucking album. Major labels know how to produce good albums. That's <laughs> yeah. a thing. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a reason they're really big, and I yeah. can talk about Jawbreaker for fucking ever. But yeah, that was that was back before the internet existed, really, before it was a thing, yeah. when musicians could actually make money off recorded music. Yeah. Selling out was a question back then. Mm -hmm. Like, it was an option. You don't really hear that debate very often anymore, because selling out only nets you like 400 bucks from streaming radio. <laughs> yeah, about the same as uh, a popular podcast. <laughs> Listen, truth be, truth be told, selling out, really, it's not... You get... When you... When you got a major record label, you still get to work with, like, for the most part, the producers you want to work with. Yeah. It's really just when you add a keyboardist into your band. <laughs> <laughs> Which Screeching Weasel has now done, and so has no effects. Oh, then fuck you. Yeah. But uh, we never so signed to a label. That doesn't no. matter. Meet our keyboarder, Malcolm. <laughs> I think, uh, I think... No effects keyboard player's name is Limo. You didn't have to give me the real name of the keyboard player. <laughs> but the point is he could. Yes. Uh, now, Ben Weasel has always been an asshole, and it never deterred Screeching Weasel from remaining one of my favorite bands up until the incident at South by Southwest back in 2011. And my friends and I refer to this as the Screeching Weasel conundrum. After bitching about security, journalists, and his record label head, Fat Mike from NoFX, he began bitching about people throwing ice at him. In a very Donald Trump move, he told the audience to beat the shit out of whomever was responsible. After no one followed his violent suggestion, he once again asked who threw that, and a girl raised her hand. Ben said, I don't care if it is a girl, dropped the mic and punched her. Well, that's very un-Donald Trump, because yeah. he's, he's very feminist. Right? Yeah, because he, he just grab him by the Well, no, Donald Trump's uh, a pussy who would never get in a fight. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's why he tells somebody he's else a, to do it. I've never seen a man flinch more than Donald Trump oh, flinches. Yeah. <laughs> he is a coward like yeah. I've never seen. Oh, God. Um... I wasn't there, and I don't know all sides of the story. Maybe there were good people on all sides. Uh, but what I do know is you don't fucking hit women. Uh, we've talked about this with Don Fagan. It puts you in the position of separating the artist from the art. But it didn't stop me from doing a Screeching Weasel tribute band earlier this year. Mm -mm. Well, hopefully one day so, you can find it in your heart to forgive him. That whole conversation with us last night at a Tom Petty concert. Talking about the Ben Weasel conundrum. 
So wait, you did a Screeching Weasel tribute band. Like, doesn't mm -hmm. doesn't that kind of mean now that punk rock is kind of classic rock for balding farts that need to feel young? I still have all my hair. Our our guitar player Kyle's pretty bald though. Um, I'm you know I'm I'm really letting this one swirl around in my head, and I'm catching a note of outer space flavor, uh, some random spices of unknown corners of the Orient, and uh, a tea. I'm tasting a tea made from the rust of a rapist van, mm -hmm. like a like a tinny sensation. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a very you really captured Ben Weasel. Yeah. Well, I gotta say what what Steve just said. I, I have to agree. Punk punk scared me a lot as a kid. With their black shirts and spikes and uh, overly Xerox posters. Yeah. It was frightening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I should show you my collection. But now I can posters, listen to the old, Misfits old with, a, with a nice rosé and chillax. Yeah. 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 Like how Dave secretly does with Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Hey. It's just a really... Hey, we said we weren't going to talk about that on the podcast. Sorry. Can we edit that out? Seriously, I don't want that out there. Well, you talked over the bumper, so it's staying. All right, this is obviously a cover of the song Roadrunner, originally written by Jonathan Richman, but made popular by Richman's band, The Modern Lovers. This version is Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and I love it. Celebrates the love of music. This is the love relationship with the radio. No matter what they're doing, they got the radio on. Yeah, uh, this song is about the enjoyment of driving through the suburbs of Boston. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, Jonathan R Richmond wrote this when he was 19. 19 years old, yeah. and he's a, a true, brilliant yeah. person. And you got to take put this in the cultural context um, because a lot of the songs you've been playing that hate the radio are from the 90s, but in the 70s and 80s, radio was still a place where everyone could go to listen to music that Poppy didn't like. So it was still a place to rebel. And this is before music broke off into a trillion directions. So then cut to the 90s when the sub-sub-sub-genre punk fans couldn't hear their favorite 3,000 bands that sound exactly like each other played in the same station as Candlebox. Even though that would make them pissed and call their favorite bands sellouts, they decided radio was not for them. Mm -hmm. And now we have the internet and everyone can indulge in only what reinforces what they already like and believe. Mm -hmm. And never have to experience anything that, th that they think they don't like. Yeah. Thank my, God. My Twitter feed is pure. Uh, it always interested me that most of the songs that people know of Joan Jett are cover songs. I know. It's this one, I Love Rock and Roll, Crimson and Clover, Do You Want to Touch Me, Everyday People, Light of Day. She didn't write any of them. She did write I Hate Myself for Loving You, but that was with the help of Desmond Child. She also co-wrote Bad Reputation with her album producers on the first album. But that was, uh, wasn't that a... Um, what was her old band? Um, the Blackhearts? The bla no. The Runaways? The Runaways. I thought that was a Runaways song. Uh, and I thought they redid it on her first solo album. Boo yeah! You got out fact by no, Dave, you, Are you thinking of Cherry Bomb? Um, no. Uh, I thought, um, I thought wait, Bad Reputation. Wait, I know she did that just like that again. I know she redid um, Cherry Bomb. No. I'm not <laughs> sure about Bad Reputation. Yeah. I thought, I always thought it was uh, the Blackhearts, but, or, um, yeah. No. Runaways. Runaways. Thank you. But it, uh, you could be right. Um... Uh, no. <laughs> no, Steve, I'm not thinking of Cherry Bomb. Uh, Joan Jett was someone I was drawn to at a very early age. I liked the sound, I liked her look, and I'm pretty sure it was my first celebrity crush. I was very excited to find out several years later that she was a fan of our Yacht Rock videos. Oh, no, really? I, she I don't was? think she was a fan. I think the people who worked for her were fans. Well, either way, we got free shirts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Uh, Boy, that was, that was something. You know, I definitely uh, I, I catch some leather in this one and dried beer, 
And like a funnel of star anise being punched down my throat, and of course, toasted bird urine. Mm -hmm. This song's full of it. Mm -hmm. You gotta toast the bird urine to, to you know bring to out the really brings out the yeah, sound. toast the sugar. Brings and, out the yeah. pay. It brings it brings in the grit in mm -hmm. Joan's voice. You know, you know, um, I, I just want to mention because I'm thinking about Jonathan Richmond and his version of this song. It's the same song, um, yeah. but he has this weird thing where he's he tries to like. Get bridge the modern world with the old world, and he constantly references. Uh, you fell in love with the modern world. Yeah, but he also l still likes the old world. So, how would this one fits in as love? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, I've looked it up. Bad Reputation was first released on Joan Jett's 1980 debut album of the same name. No shit. Well, then I apologize, Stephen. Um, no. <laughs> I'm still, I was not thinking of Cherry Bomb. Okay, this is a big old long title. This is the slowest drink at the saddest bar on the snowiest day in the greatest city. Oh, so these guys are from Chicago. Yeah. Wait, but hold on a second. It never snows in Los Angeles. Nah. No. Yeah, you beat me too. Great, great joke. Okay. Uh, this is Lawrence Arms. Uh, this is the most recent song on the list, having been released in 2009, and one that I've been obsessed with lately. Uh, I caught the Lawrence Arms at a festival a couple weeks ago, and I'd forgotten how much I liked this song. This one falls into the category of the great before, and as I interpret it, it's about being an aging punk rocker staring at the lines in his face in the mirror, thinking about what could have been. Goes to a bar where he doesn't know anyone and just drinks and thinks about how great things used to be. And when he thinks back, he's remembering the music. He was drunk. He was drunk on the radio waves. Did you write this song, Dave? <laughs> it does sound like something I'd write, doesn't it? Is is the Lawrence Arms the name of your new band with your buddy Casey? No, unfortunately, we aren't this good. <laughs> uh, but Karate the Band's likely playing a Halloween party in Burbank. Oh, boy. More info as it develops. Google it, people. Halloween Karate the Band Burbank. Saturday, 28th. It's like walking into a convenience store and asking for an egg to get the address to a party, but now it's like Google. Right. Just right. search karate in Burbank. I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> uh, the Lawrence Arms is a trio from Chicago. It's not a pub? But what I uh, didn't realize before I saw them a couple weeks ago, it's the lead singer. Uh, Brendan Kelly was the lead singer of Slapstick. My goodness. Yeah. I hadn't seen him since I nearly avoided a fistfight with him in the driveway of the Stewart House in Kalamazoo after a show back in 97. But that's a different story. Okay. You nearly avoided a fight, so... So oh. you didn't avoid a fight. Uh, you just barely, barely avoided, avoided the fight. I, I think I said that was supposed to be narrowly. Uh, Dave is uh, narrowly avoiding so many fist fights. I have a feeling he never even got close to any of them. That's oh, no, my I've, theory. I've been punched a bunch. Sure. <laughs> I mean, look at me. <laughs> oh, punch a bunch of lions. Yeah. Punched a bunch. You do look a little lumpy. Yeah. Um, I like this group. Um, I went oh. through I went through like a modern power punk discovery attempt a couple years ago, and the Lawrence Arms came in under my radar. And I like I like how you could put just like every band in a playlist and hit shuffle, and it was like listening to one long album. <laughs> and that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna write yeah. so I can put on this white noise of punk, and it all sounds the same, and nothing distracts me or pulls me out. I was just gonna make mention that I I knew these guys had to be from Chicago because they declared that they were from the greatest city. Yeah, and only Chicagoans would be that. 
declarative about so that. They, we, I am from the greatest city. It doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what the question is. It's always Chicago. Like, best food city, Chicago. Best yeah. fashion capital, Chicago. It's because, Entertainment capital, Chicago. It's because new... It's Gambling capital of the world, Chicago. Best baseball team, Chicago. Well, it's because people who, in, people in the Midwest who are too pussy to move too far from their homes move That's to Chicago and, go, and, they go, and they go, we got everything we need right here. It's all we New York, Los Angeles, San Antonio. We get it all here. <laughs> San Antonio. Uh, San, San Antonio. Don't you know? Uh, but best flag, it really is Chicago. Yeah, that one's true. Yeah, the W flag when the Cubs win. Slapstick's important not talking only because... Fly the W flag no, for a win. Jesus. Sorry, Dave. That's flag. I'm yeah. sorry, Dave. Go for it, Dave. That was my fault. Yeah. You know Steve was a Cubs fan? Slapstick's important not only because they were a great band, but because the members went on to several other kick-ass projects. When they broke up, they became the Broadways and Tuesday. Those bands later broke up, and members joined Less Than Jake and the Smoking Popes. Kelly formed the Lawrence Arms, and bass player Dan Andriano went on to form Alkaline Trio with Matt Skiba. Pretty good resume for guys that used to play in the basement of the Stewart Street house and didn't like people sneaking up behind them to break clay pigeons over their head. Is that you, Dave? That's how I almost got punched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, you kind of deserved it. Yeah, but I mean, clay pigeons just break in your hand, and but you wouldn't think they would, so you hit somebody on the back of the head with it. It's like it's like sugar glass. It's a funny joke. <laughs> um, so with this song, I'm getting like some line-dried laundry and um, a little bit of that hard, teeth-hurting niblet you you get when you bite into a sausage sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, like the thing that shouldn't have been in yeah, there. Yeah, like a piece of bone mm-hmm. or something. Oh. And then like, I'm also getting a sense of like 18. West Virginian miners trapped in a mine having been down there long enough that they start blowing each other. They're five minutes. Five minutes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know that teeth-hurting niblet? That yeah. was the first... That's first and every time when I was younger that I was like, hmm, vegetarian might not be too bad. Every yeah. time I hit one, I'm ready to go all yeah. spinach. <laughs> that, that tastes like dick tendon. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Got a gallop going. Yahoo! Oh, I forgot to say, we're weekly again. Huh? How about that? Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna try and you, go weekly you again. You might have noticed that we one came out this week and this week, so we're trying to go weekly. But you've probably turned off the episode by now, so you continue <laughs> to be surprised week after week as we keep showing up on Thursdays. All right, Steve. Hey! The soundtrack song I picked this week is Go to Hell by Megadeth. This is from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which was the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. This would have been the title song if the movie had kept its original title, which was Bill and Ted Go to Hell. I seem to remember a pretty strong conservative outcry when that came out. Yeah, because America was only really uh, a couple years maybe removed from believing that actual satanic cults yeah. were practicing real magical rituals. And America literally threw people in jail for this. 
And you know, Top Damn America. Yeah, if you if you listen to this, Megadeth actually sounds kind of scary here. Like you could maybe do a ritual to this song. Well, the name itself is kind of scary. Yeah, it's terrifying because if you think that hell is real, you don't want to go there. No, he meant I Megadeth. Meant Megadeth. Because oh, yeah. it's the biggest death. Yeah. Well, yeah it's, it was, uh, what is it? A million deaths? It refers to nuclear annihilation, doesn't it? Yeah. It was a, yeah. It was a nuclear annihilation reference. Yeah. Jeez, I was just, like how you'd count like it was like a, a unit of measure for a body count in a nuclear explosion. Exactly. What's, a mega death, I think, is what like a thousand or ten thousand. What's Megaforce then? <laughs> it's, it's like a, a million Chuck Norris movie. <laughs> it's like a hundred force. I really, really got to tell you what Megaforce is. Or a thousand force. Norris is in that. <laughs> it's a thousand force. Gotcha. Mm, yeah. Megaforce was also the label that Anthrax was on for a while. Oh, yeah. 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 Super fucking metal. Say, Super metal, bro. I have to say, I like the title Bogus Journey better than... Yeah, it does seem really... to fit the characters a little bit it's better. It's a funny title, yeah. Uh, so, like, I heard this. I was an early teenager. I was new to heavier heavy metal, and I was... Well, they heard the lyrics like, whoa, Megadeth might actually be satanic. But also, I'd never heard King Diamond back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Norwegian black metal wasn't quite a thing yet. Now, I've been completely desensitized. But still, the, most of this song still sounds pretty badass to me. I don't know if you've heard it or not yet, but what, what's up with the, the dang now I lay myself down to sleep prayer and all these dang death bands? That's a great question, JD. Uh, not least because it's the lamest part of an otherwise spooky song. And, it, and Megadeth does the prayer twice. They do it once once uh, early on in a, a spooky kid's voice, like, you know, the kind of kid that narrates a Morgan Freeman movie with a nursery rhyme. And then they do it once uh, again at the end in Dave Mustaine's snotty, not singing voice with its confrontational brattiness. Yeah, he does. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, obviously Metallica does the same prayer in the middle of Enter Sandman. So the big question is, was one band ripping off the other? Was one band making fun of the other? You know, after all, Dave Mustaine got kicked got out of Metallica out of, early on. For doing too many drugs, yep. is that it? Yeah, basically. Uh. Too, dr yeah, too, too much substance abuse. I don't think they liked him either. And he held a grudge Bad for the rest skin. of his career. They all <laughs> Yeah. Probably from the drugs. So Dave Mustaine spent a lot of time trying to copy or outdo whatever moves Metallica was making next. Now, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey was released roughly within a month of Metallica's Black Album. In your face! So it's kind of impossible to tell. Like, did one band get to hear the other's demo tape? Like, oh, I gotta do something about this. The world may never know. Or care. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Metallica has a classic album coming out this month, but wait till they hear my track on Bill and Ted 2. Got him. Uh, fun King Diamond story. Yes. My uh, nephew's got uh, Alexa for Christmas, and I kept saying, "Alexa, play King Diamond." Every time I walked by it, <laughs> and they're they're nine and uh, ten, or eight and ten, so they look up to cool Uncle Dave. And I guess uh, they just keep requesting King Diamond on Alexa every day. And <laughs> Does it work? It's driving their parents up the fucking wall. Does it work? Yeah, it worked. Hey, cool. Oh, here's the prayer again. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, sassy. <laughs> he's, he's got some confrontational brattiness there. That's, that's uh, actually the same thing as my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> this song, this song, this song was, uh, it made its first appearance on a Megadeth album when it was included on the Hidden Treasures compilation in 1995. Oh, Hidden Treasures, that's kind of a burn to Bill and Ted Part 2, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody knew about this one after that. Uh, it's the sort of compilation record critics like to describe as odds and sods, even if they're not British and they never use the term sods in any other context. 
this was recorded by the consensus best lineup of Megadeth with uh, Nick Menza on drums and Marty Friedman as the other guitarist who isn't Dave Mustaine. That was the lineup on the Rust in Peace album, which was really the only time that they did beat Metallica at their own game. I like So Far, So Good, So What. Really? Yeah. It seems to be a lot of people's least favorite. Of no, the, it had uh, Anarchy in the UK on it. So. Oh, I hated that cover. <laughs> Here's the prayer again. Did any, did anybody actually see Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? Of course. Yes. I never saw it. I only saw the first one. What's wrong one. with you? Yeah. I saw it in the theater when I was a boy, and I really enjoyed it. No, I was okay. really into Bill and Ted at the time. I saw I it in the theater, saw it after the theater, saw it on HBO and all these other things. Yeah, fuck you, Steve. It's great. Okay. Station's butt. The Grim I'll Reaper I'll rap. Uh, God gave rock and roll to you? Yeah. I don't Ballard. even have to look at my sheet. Must, I remember all this Ballard. shit. I was there, man. That's a Ballard jam. It was pure back then. What year did that come out? 91. 92, 91. That was 91? Was Bogus Part Journey was 91? Bogus Journey? No. Yeah. No, it had to be like 93. No, it was 91. Was it? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, okay. it, so it came out within a month of the Black Album. I remember Station's Butt. Yeah, I know I was a sophomore in high school for the Black Album, so that was, yeah, 91. I was 13. Remember Station? 14. Remember 13. Station? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You think? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Remember the Grim Reaper? He was awesome. Oh, yeah. I remember Power Station. Remember how the Grim Reaper was in Die Hard? Too? No. Oh, well, he was. Remember, remember the band Grim Reaper, See You in Hell? No, of course. That's a jam. <laughs> Number five. Yeah! <laughs> All right. A lot of people will tell you this isn't a punk song, but fuck you. Who the hell are you to tell someone what's punk or not? It doesn't all have to be leather jackets and crooked teeth. And actually, I, after I wrote that, I looked up Elvis Costello's teeth, and he's British, so... Yeah, they're very crooked. Well, now, if you ask me, I, I don't think he's getting the punk sound right. And how can you not get the punk sound right? It's like, it's like if in the 90s, Madonna said, I can do grunge. <laughs> like, 5,000 losers all sound the same doing punk all the time. It's easy. So get it together, Elvis Costello, you Italian nerd. Well, you want to... <laughs> See? You want, I, hold, on, hold on. You want you want to know what's even more of a conundrum? This is technically post-punk. Oh. And we've already listened to a proto-punk song, so mm. it's, all, it's all good. Don't all worry right. about Dave. Anyway, I don't cool. think it's... No, it's not post-punk. Post-punk yeah, is, is sort of an off... Sort? New wave. Yeah, it's new wave. Post-punk yeah, post -punk. and new wave are two different things. Yeah, but this is... He was doing both of them. But... It's, I would say I would hand agree, in hand. I would agree with Dave that this is a punk song. Thank you, because Steve. it's from the it's from the early era of punk when punk was much more of an attitude. It's of the age. Yeah, it's 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 an attitude. It's an upending uh, convention, like uh, bringing bringing rock and roll back to its original simplicity and uh, punchiness. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, it's post-punk, new new wave, no, because it has a keyboardist. Post-punk is a specific genre. I'm just glad it's not full of Picaros. I think Neil Diamond is better. <laughs> Continue, Dave. <laughs> ah, I don't know what side to choose. Uh, I'm so, glad you put this song in the countdown, Dave, because I song. like it, and it's a song that I actually know. Yeah. Radio Radio is a song that's anti-radio due to its over-commercialization, and also critical of the BBC's refusal to play punk songs, most notably God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. And then the song goes on to shit on the assholes that run the radio, and the fools that turn in. Clearly the hate Tune category. In? What did I say? Turn in. Turn in. Fools they turn in, too. They turn in, also. Turn it up. Like, shitting on some assholes. Like Autograph once said, turn up the radio. 
Uh, I think Ooh, there's was that argument. on here? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sweet punk song. We can, we can listen to it in the parking lot. <laughs> okay. if, it, if this is punk, then I think, I think uh, Autograph could be punk. I think there's an argument that he hates it so much because it used to be good to go hand in hand. Uh... Yeah, the the BBC had an iron grip on British radio. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if if, the, if that radio was ever good, and I'm pretty sure there's a huge, like, hundreds of pirate radio oh, stations yeah. in the UK. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that yeah, later. Yeah, we'll get to that later. The big story to be told about this is obviously how it got him banned from Saturday Night Live. Uh, the Sex Pistols were supposed to play the show, but because of all their shenanigans, they weren't able to secure visas in time. Uh, Elvis was asked to play, and his record company wanted him to play less than zero to promote his current album. Costello started playing it, but then stopped seemingly on a whim and said, there's no reason to play this song here, most likely because it was about a British politician. Uh, he then said, radio, radio, to his band, and they launched into it, like, perfectly, which makes me think it was planned. There's a few theories of why it led to a ban, including the thought the song was too scathing of mainstream radio, but I don't buy that. I think just what it comes down to is you don't cross Lorne Michaels. Uh, Elvis's band was lifted in 1989, and then, of course, he interrupted the Beastie Boys version of Sabotage during the 25th anniversary special to play Radio Radio again. Um, he sabotaged their song. What a punk. Yep. This song, it has, See, it's an attitude. I know it's an attitude. I agree with you, Steve. This song, it's got notes of the way that Burgundy sounds, and like a light poking of acid reflux, and 1,000 gallons of sperm whale sperm. It's a real thing. Sperm whales make sperm. Mm-hmm. And also, have Even you guys... the ladies? Have you guys ever seen pictures or video of whales shitting? Coming? No. <laughs> shitting. Shitting? Oh. No, I've yeah. never seen a describe whale shit. It. Yeah. Google it's, it. Yeah, it's, no, it's amazing. It's a big brown cloud coming out of this yeah, it's ocean like, monster. It's like oh. jet yeah. propelled. It's like ink from an octopus? Yeah, but brown and poopy. Yeah. Yeah. So you ever have diarrhea underwater? <laughs> It's like it's like that all the time. <laughs> it's like that. All right. Except giant. Is it? Wait, this is another one. Mm-hmm. This is a rancid, right? Mm-hmm. I always thought rancid would be heavier and scarier, but this is like pussycat bullshit. Well, they have mohawks and That's tattoos why, on their on their right. on their face. I really liked rancid when I was oh. like fourteen because they they weren't. There, it they didn't up, sound Jay. that super tough. Uh, <laughs> this is a straight up love song to the radio. It's Radio by Rancid. I never fell in love till I fell in love with you. This is clearly stating that the radio is their first love. They also state the music showed them heaven, which the church could not. Oh! Ah. When I've got the music, I've got a place to go. Pure, unconditional love for punk rock music. This is the stuff that gets me worked up. You got a boner right now. I do. Uh, I, I just already said this. Yeah. I had this album. Yeah. It was, a, uh, it was a, I had a, I, after post-grunge, like, after grunge was, like, literally everybody seemed to be dying. Yeah. You needed, there was, there was a need, a void to fill, and I filled that with a lot of punk. This was one of the few ones that I actually liked. That's a good, it's a good void, a good way to fill a post-grunge void. Good job. Yeah, that's how, yeah, that's how Green Day got big. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had mm. Dookie like everybody else. Uh, Rancid, of course, is made up of half of Operation Ivy. Tim Armstrong and Matt Freeman formed the group shortly after Op Ivy broke up. And they're widely considered to be the band that helped Punko mainstream along with Green Day and The Offspring. 
I don't like The Offspring very much. No, it's not it. that good. Yeah, I uh, had their first album. I listen to it now. It's, it's yeah. it doesn't hold up. Uh, uh, the first album really didn't sell in large numbers, although I highly recommend the song Detroit. Uh, the second album, Let's Go, did extremely well. They were on Epitaph Records and started getting courted by majors. Epic Rapper Records is rumored to have offered them $7 million, but the best story is that Madonna sent them nude Polaroids to try to entice them over to her Maverick label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did not work. <laughs> Grandma sent Polaroids. <laughs> she looks good! Is that Vanilla Ice in those shots, too? <laughs> no, that's just his uh, his whale shit. Speaking uh, of Mavericks, that was the exact same method they used to entice John McCain to vote against repealing Obamacare. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure Lindsey Graham has sent many, many dudes yeah. nude Polaroids of <laughs> some, some dick pics. <laughs> I declare, I, that, I, that was meant to go into the mailbox of a lady. <laughs> Did I ever tell you Let about... me take my julep and maybe I'll Oh, he's, g- he's giving a few guys some, the vapors. Yeah. My uh, my wife and I exchange dick pics all the time, but they're just pictures of different guys named Dick. <laughs> like Dick Clark or Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Patten? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Dick Sargent and Dick York. Oh. And then I was playing that game with a uh, friend of the podcast, Mike Vanderbilt, and he sent me Ronnie, Ronnie Cox. Dude sent a cock shot. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, Rancid stayed on Hellcat and Epitaph up until 2003 when they did a lateral release with Hellcat and Warner Brothers. But it was the last time they fucked with a major label, at least as far as I'm aware. Now, I went to see these guys once in Detroit, and it was a pretty fucking punk show. There was uh, a box by the door that was filled with, like, spikes and brass knuckles and chains and switchblades. That, did, uh, they, did they play the song Detroit? They did. Okay. That was great. Um, but my friends and I decided to wear tuxedos to the concert, and all the dudes in mohawks and spikes were looking at us like we were nuts. I explained to several people that going against the expectation was more punk rock than coloring my hair green, because I'd already done that. Narrowly escaped getting my ass kicked that night. You know what else is awfully punk, my friendly chums, is mellowing out to this Jimmy Buffett record. Yep. That's true. No, I didn't. I didn't pull. No, that's that's not true. Uh, I'm giving a freight train hitting a small town mayor vibe on this one. Like, <laughs> you know, that's how my yeah, like what you scrape died? off of it after. Yeah. Well, that's how my great grandfather died. He was a small town mayor that got hit by he a freight train. Of us he died being was, a uh, small town mayor. He was a small town accountant, and he had uncovered something he shouldn't have. And he was supposed to be pushing. Apparently, he was pushing his car off the train tracks because his car was like a hundred yards down the uh, the road, and he was dead, hit by a train. He wasn't a mayor. Not the same thing. Accountant. Um. Oh, oh, what's that? I, I'm sensing something. Did, My tongue in there. I, 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 I sense three fire ants of different sizes. Oh, and is that fermented grape? Oh, you're really, you're really getting this. Yeah. Wait, Dave. I have one question. Did your great grandfather make the classic accountant mistake of going to his bosses to threaten to reveal it? First, I don't know. I, I learned about it through an old newspaper clipping, and it, it didn't give me the, the details. Like, oh. if you don't pay me, I'm going to put this in the paper, see? Something like that. Yeah, or like, I'll give you one week to correct this because I know you're doing wrong. Or oh. maybe he just showed it to his boss, and his boss, like, didn't want anybody to find that out. That's what we think happened. Yeah. Just like, Where oh. was this? Ohio. I've done my job, and yep. I found a mistake in the account. place. Um, yeah, like he Afri- was o- Ohio's like, accountant? Uh, yeah, he was uh, Ohio City accountant. <laughs> oh. I don't know, Newcomersburg? <laughs> it's a real place.
These newcomers aren't so new. <laughs> I'm gonna expose this to the world. It's where Cy Young's from. Look it up. Ohio uh, City. This might be a controversial choice if any of you guys give a fuck about the genre. Uh, this is, I can't believe you did this, Dave. I'm just happy you did a you, punk up. You're gonna tell yeah. me number one's Mariah Carey next. Uh, this is Down By Law with Radio Raga off the all-scratched-up double LP. It's a really fantastic album. And what's so important about this song is not the song itself, but the subject matter. Shut up, Hunter. No, nothing sells pu says punk like a double LP. Well, that's the genre I want to do, double LP punk. So um, you got London Calling and this one. Yeah, there's more. How many songs can you fit on a double LP? Like, it better be a How many? How many two-minute songs? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> the first song, the, uh, the Ataris, that... Uh, radio Still Sucks. That was on a compilation called Short Music for Short People. All the songs are under 30 seconds. Yeah. There's 100 tracks on the album. <laughs> I get uh, your money's worth there. Yeah. Uh, this song is all about Rodney Bigenheimer, former DJ and host of Rodney on the Rock for 41 years. He was credited with the first American DJ to play the Ramones, Offspring, Van Halen, Blondie, The Germs, Nirvana, Oasis, The Smiths, Sex Pistols, X, The Go-Go, Social Distortion, Suicidal Tendencies, Jimmy and so many more. He jump-started hundreds of careers, and people would tune in to see, or to hear, what the newest unheard of band was. I mean, I could also probably list 5,000 songs he played by bands that went nowhere. I think he probably threw a lot of spaghetti against the wall. If you play every unknown band, of course the good ones are gonna break through. But I, I, I saw the documentary on this guy. And he seemed like kind of a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of dummy, I like how you spelled spaghetti phonetically in the notes. Oh, uh, I'm real. No, I put a G in there. Uh, it's not. <laughs> no, it's incorrectly you H, spelled. You know, you put an H. Oh, in I there. put an H in yeah. there. Not yeah. a G. Yeah. Dave, you misspelled Bingenheimer. Yeah, that's fine. That's cool. <laughs> that one's not intuitive. Um, <laughs> One dude, Bigenheimer. one dude that uh, tuned in to Rodney on the Rock was uh, Dave Smalley, lead singer of Down by Law, and his street cred is legit. He started in the Boston straight edge band DYS, went on to play in Dag Nasty, and then joined All, which of course is uh, the Descendants without Milo Ackerman. They should have been called All But One! Yeah. Because <laughs> they were missing Milo Ackerman. Yep. Milo went to college. He uh, formed Down by Law after he left all. His influence on pop punk is undeniable. You all should have recorded an album called Milo Goes to Work, because they were all older then. Yeah, uh, when he went on to become a chemist. Hey, this is all starting to sound like Hunter naming names and Yacht Rock songs, but I don't understand. same thing. I don't understand these names, and all I hear is blah, 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 blah. How's that for confrontational brightiness? I'm oh, getting yeah. it. I'm getting yeah, it. Yeah, Dave is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you even want, you even want a little nasal yeah. on it, like the punk. Or Steve. <laughs> this Down comes. Now you, now you get to pronounce your long eyes like, oh, like, time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Time. Uh, the song is all about the love of music and the songs that Rodney plays. He sings the lyrics, Just pick one out for us, make it loud and strong and true. Play the songs that we love when the heroes still came through. Love and the great before. The idea young punks would sit up at night just listening to Rodney on the rock makes me very happy. Even though Rodney isn't on the rock anymore, he's joined Little Steven's Underground Garage. It's one of the good shows on Sirius XM, not to be confused with their many terrible shows, one of which has a title that uses a genre name that we should have trademarked. Deep, There's an deep City Groove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> There's a documentary. You mentioned the documentary. I thought it was pretty great. It's called Mayor of the Sunset Strip. I think it was really fascinating. I just yeah. didn't. He just seemed like a lucky kind of guy of, hanging around. And, a lot of boobies. Do you, yeah. do you think Pictures this song would have been better if this song was about Rodney Dangerfield? Absolutely. <laughs> Every song would be better if it was about Rodney Dangerfield. Except for Rap and Rodney. Somehow that one's worse. Yeah. Um... I would highly recommend checking out the documentary and a movie called Down by Law by Jim Jarmish. No relation to the band other than it's where they took their name from, but still worth watching. Most of the punk chicks that I hung out with in college owned that movie, so there you go. And I was one of those chicks. That's and right. Roberto Benigni is amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, how about how about Milo drops his kids off at daycare? That'd be a good album. I don't know if he has kids. Um, listen. I'm sensing some ash in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little paprika, some Spanish paprika. Yeah, they like to burn it down and spice it right. Yeah, and, a, and also a, a night of mystery and intrigue. This is a fine vintage. Mm-hmm. Are we done with this one? How about Milo's leases a Buick LeSabre? Probably has a European car. <laughs> it's a Volkswagen, we all know. Car for the people. All right, this is the Ramones. Of course, the Ramones are going to be on here. Uh, this is Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio, and this is, of course, The Great Before. This is one of those listing songs, like We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel or Done Too Soon by Neil Diamond. They're basically paying respect to their influences and using them to punctuate the point that we need change and we need it fast before rock's just a thing of the past, because get this, lately it all sounds the same to me. Mm-hmm. There's the hate. Is it the freaking pump punks that are bummed at everything else? <laughs> Sounds the same. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> I think the problem may have been that the Ramones were only listening to their own music and all the other bands copying their music. That well, may have been the problem. Yeah, maybe. It also, it's also probably like uh, Donald Trump and all the white men in America. All white men in America who think all Asians look the same. No. But then Asians think all white people look the same. Yeah. Call every, us fish eyes. Yeah. Or ghosts. Every single Asian. <laughs> well, this went down a weird path. <laughs> I got some Asian friends that told me they're racist terms for white people. That's, just wanted to get that out there. How about uh, Milo signs a mortgage? How about that? Really doubling down on that. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to change the subject. Uh, the Ramones were always about returning to music to its roots. Yeah, its roots. Its real roots. <laughs> in hollowed out gourds and tapping on animal skulls from yesterday's hunt. I love that joke because people are always talking about bringing things back to, to the its roots. roots. And they don't realize how rudimentary things really uh, were. Although, Steve, to be fair, you need to dry an animal skull out for more than just a day before you start tip-tapping. Well, it depends on what kind of sound you want. Yeah. Oogle Boogle note it. Mm. Note it. <laughs> Krog the Angry likes a wet percussion sound. <laughs> Krog the Angry. That's who was in charge back then. Yeah. Bringing it back to the roots. And he was still complaining at the time. Uh. Oh, it's, you kids, you don't understand the sound of real tip-tapping on skulls. See, he, he, had, he had confrontational anger before the brightiness was invented. Yeah. Huh. Skull of what used to be my friend Fag. I really, I really, I think I put it together. I think punks are just like young people complaining like old people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just realized what it is because all these arguments are just the arguments that old people have as they get old and they listen to new music. Yeah. Except they're young uh-huh. and they're just still 
they're still complaining about yeah. music. Yeah. I want it like it used to be. But they had no used to be. Yeah. In my day. It just, yeah, they just like to fuck more than old people do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got a little more horniness to it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Some, I it's difference. It's, it's, These guys like to fuck. Not really what we're talking about, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that, that adds to what I was saying, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, fucking. <laughs> um... Uh, we need to talk about the sound of this song and the production of this album. This is from End of the Century, and the Ramones were ready to cash in. They were and are the most influential punk band ever, and they still couldn't get radio play. Well, the offspring could get it, so it can't be that hard. I some, mean, some mysteries are unexplained. Wait, <laughs> we skipped over my paragraph and about your paragraph about how I was going to wrap your knuckles for simplifying the Ramones too much. Oh, which is fine. That? It's okay. Oh yeah, I, I said we went off on a tangent about the roots of music and tip tapping on an important balls, historical which is fine. segment. It's, it's fine. This is rock and. It's just that, like, it's we were talking about the Ramones and like their their music was pretty slightly diverse. Mm -hmm. Their musical tastes, they well, their brought. tastes were very diverse. So yeah. even though, but the thing is, is that the, all their music kind of sounded very similar, mm -hmm. and I don't know why. I think it's because. It's because they played the same instruments the same way all the time. Yeah, it, and because Joey was, yeah, Joey was very sappy, so he always wanted to write sappy like yeah. love songs. Yeah, he loved the Ronettes. So he never like varied that. Dee Dee just like would would do what was cool. Yeah, he's like nuts. rapping, and and cut the bullshit out, and then Johnny just wanted to piss everybody off, so he would do it as fast as possible, and it was aggressive. Yeah. But they all appreciated the 60s and 70s music. Yeah. Did Acid Eaters. Right. Anyways. Um, now they're working with Phil Spector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is... Uh, well, the Ramones always wanted to be bigger than they were. And even when I saw them on their farewell tour in 1996, it was still, like, to a, a theater that held maybe 700 people. And, and as soon as they got rid of uh, Tommy and John Bon Jovi's cousin, who was the producer... <laughs> Uh, they worked with a bunch of big guys. They just, they, I, they were just like Jean Bouvier. Yeah, like guys who who were mm -hmm. like hit record producers, and it's just that they sounded like the they just made Ramones music. Smart guys that suggested to Timmy Capello, hey, why don't you pop off that shirt? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they. they, they <laughs> Anyways. Well, they wanted to work with Phil Spector, and he produced this, trying to bring his wall of sound in. Um, and there's several songs on the album that hark harkens back to the 60s pop vibe, like Danny says, or the cover of Ronnie Spector's Baby, I Love You. But none more than this one. Much like pop songs of the 60s, the lead is the saxophone, and Johnny was not happy about that. This was really more Joey wanted to work with Phil Spector, right? Phil Spector wanted to work with Joey and was trying to curate him as a solo artist. Yeah. And it really pissed off the rest of the band. Uh, the album also features the song Rock and Roll High School, which was a title track to the film by Alan Arkish. It's a movie I can watch over and over again and never gets old. Fun fact, when the Ramones show up for their big gig at the Roxy, you know who's driving the car? Rodney on the Rock! I'm having fun with that fact. Yeah. We got a little good chill. The Roxy's the same place where we got booed off the stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shit. Fuck yeah. Good times. Um, this song... On purpose, we would have been booed off anyways. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't ironic. 
<laughs> we didn't actually. Yeah, we don't want. We didn't actually want to be big. <laughs> we don't want. We, we don't, don't want our songs yeah. played on the radio. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Take a good listen to this song, boys. Like really, really let it be on your ear palate. You're gonna, you're gonna find some tobacco notes, some notes about tobacco, and a half gallon measuring cup stuffed with human feces. Hmm. All right. I hear it. This guy gets the Ramones. It's like I, hear, I get the subtleties. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. It's New York, basically. Mm-hmm. It's got the flavor of New York. Yeah. Hey Dave, I have a question for you before you move What's on. What's up? Do they do Ramones fans like that album? I do. Century. I think so. I wasn't. I, I've never been sure if they really. Yeah, like well, it or it's not. it's weird because like they're not wearing their jackets on the cover. It's like you know, it's they're, they're really doing something different. All right, anyways, Dave, hey, I just I just want to point out that you just hit number one, the end of the podcast, and you just cracked open another beer. Yeah, well. I allotted myself three beers for the podcast, and here we are. It's a three-beer podcast. He had, to do, he had to do a lot of reading in this one. He didn't have a lot of time yeah, for my, drinking. My throat's yeah. dry. Oh, yeah, you got to wet that whistle. Yeah. Right. Hey, number one. We're number one. Capital Radio by The Clash, also known as Capital Radio One. Uh, this is another one all about the great before being played by the only band that mattered. The song at its base is about Pirate Radio Hunter. For those of you that you don't know. You called it. Ah, ah. Captain Walker. In the time before, in the pirate radio. Captain Walker was also the character in uh, Tommy. Oh, the fucking Captain elk. Walker didn't come home. All makes sense now. Um, for those of you that don't know, pirate radio sprouted up in England in the 60s. All these small, unregulated radio stations were broadcasting from international waters as they thought the music the BBC was playing was straight-up pop garbage. Oh, boy! By 1965, these stations had an audience of 10 to 15 million listeners, and as a response, the BBC started more channels, BBC One, BBC Two, and so on. And the uh, loopholes of international broadcasting were closed. Several pirate DJs went on to have shows on the BBC, such as John Peel, whom we have discussed on this show previously. The Peel Sessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize he started as a pirate DJ, but then again, I didn't know very much about his background. No. Here's a song about rum and gold. <laughs> easy, easy joke. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nailed pirate radio. <laughs> Yo ho ho. Dave, I'm surprised. A little surprised. I didn't know this song uh, going in, and I'm surprised mm-hmm. you didn't pick This Is Radio Clash, which is also about pirate radio. Yeah. And it's more reggae flavored, so you'd have gotten a little more ska bullshit in here, too. You know, I thought of that one, but it's really more of a dance song. I feel like the Clash were kind of trying to make a disco record. And then that got me thinking that there might be a genre called going disco. No, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah so look for that one on my uh, on the on the fours and nines. Trying disco. Uh, the other angle of this song is just flat out hatred for BBC. They wouldn't play punk. Remember uh, Radio Radio by Elvis Costello? Oh yeah, good Never song. Yeah, this is exclaiming the same hatred. They even call out Aiden Day, who was the BBC's head of music. Get the word from Aiden Day. He picks all the hits to play to keep you in your house all day. Oh, that's the most intelligible I've ever heard a Clash lyric enunciated, I think. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to hear what they're saying. <laughs> they, don't, they don't put on the American accent like most British bands do. There we go. I, to keep you in your house all day. And just think of how big a target the BBC was to hate. It's just a, it's a, 
governmently, governmentally government. owned radio station controlling all airwaves, basically by old people telling young people what to buy. It'll always be hated, and yeah. your tax pay, your tax money pays for it. Right, yeah. Tax dollars, it's like that damn PBS making me watch exactly. that damn Vietnam show. Exactly, oh, that's exactly what it is. The History Channel, like making me see what Hitler's up to. Wow, that's no, that's not, not it. That's not it at all. Uh, 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 here's what Joe Summers, Joe Strummer said about the song back in '77. Uh, I'd like to throttle Aiden Day. He thinks he's a self-appointed minister of public enlightenment. I hate him. He goes on to bitch some more. <laughs> I'll, I'll read the rest of it in Joe Strummer's uh, accent. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty straightforward stuff. Listen, that's why they had pirate radio. Uh, this song, what is this playing this for? This song has hints of music, and that's that's all I got. Hints of music, uh, punk rock, where's Poppy out? All right, what didn't make the did list? Pablo Cruz pop up on you? It did. I don't spot? know what I don't know what happened. Uh, he had a punk list, and Pablo Cruz was just that. It was in the P's. <laughs> Sometimes at the end of things, random songs come up. Yeah, I remember ACDC came up one day, and that was yeah. a nice little treat. So weird. Okay, anyway, what didn't make the list? Steve! Uh, song, the song I picked isn't quite punk, but it's a band with punk roots. Left of the Dial by The Replacements, which is a love letter to the college radio stations that would actually play The Replacements music. I bet KFAI in Minneapolis played the shit out of The Replacements back in the day. Oh, yeah. I bet. Uh, Back in the Aiden day. This is Radio Clash. Steve mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Love that song. Uh, and doesn't do, I, doesn't Radio Birdman had something? I went through their I went through their catalog and I couldn't find anything. Uh, uh, since I don't know anything about this music, I typed Radio Punk into Spotify and I found a song called Radio Punk <laughs> by a band called Bad Nerves. Oh. Uh, the band is new and they haven't released an album yet. And the song was just released a month ago. But it's a little punk and a little aunt garage. It, I actually like it. Uh, you should have used it for the intro, Dave, but instead you figured a 28-second song would do the trick. And it was flawless. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, we're wild on the fives. Whoa! It's TV star versus TV star. Lots of shows had at least two cast members who released music, so we'll be pitting them against each other in a battle of, uh, for the ages. Um, and in business, thanks to the Modern Folk for sending in the bumpers. Check out their Bandcamp at themodernfolk.bandcamp.com. Uh, find this week's playlist by following JD Riznar on Spotify. Go to yachtrock.com to buy T-shirts, read the captain's blog, send an email, whatevs. Go to yachtrock. Uh, go yachternat.com, yachternat.com to check out the Yachtsky scale. A lot of good yacht rock songs on there. Uh, send questions via Twitter at yachtrock. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Your reviews help us pick up heat, so please take the time today to write us a review. And you know what? What? We just picked up uh, the Yacht Rock name for Tumblr. A guy was using it, and he didn't do a lot in the last few years, so I emailed him and said, Hey, man, here this is me, and I did the show. Can we have it? And he's a hero. He said, Yeah, man, I love what you do. I'm not really using it. You can have the name. So there are heroes out there that return Yacht Rock to its proper dock. So check us out on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Tumblr now. <laughs> Isn't that just like 
Porn gifts. Yep. And <laughs> and our, social justice. And all our episodes listed. Uh, themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers, recorded today by Matt Brusso. Every day by Matt Brusso. This is an old thing. Thanks to the entire Feral Audio family. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com. And Matt Brusso, he's our producer. Yeah. Yeah, he's not just a recorder anymore. And our friend. Jeff. He's a producer. Feral Audio.